Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson. LightningInsider.com. My usual co-host, Greg Linelli, is not with me for this particular episode as I wanted to get something out in response to Tampa Bay's first two games against the Chicago Blackhawks and give you some of my thoughts. First of all, on what it was like to be inside an empty arena watching an NHL game. I know we saw plenty of it on television over the summer in Toronto and Edmonton, but this was the first time that at least from my perspective, I was able to be inside the arena for a game without fans. And uh, I'll give you some of my thoughts on what that was about, some thoughts on the first two games. And now you have this gap for Tampa Bay before they have to face the Columbus Blue Jackets on a Thursday. That's on January the 21st will be their next game as I sit here and record this on a Sunday the 17th. So we still have a few days between games to uh, kind of, uh, collect our thoughts on what we saw uh, in the two-game sweep of the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, usually we use the word sweep in terms of playoffs, but uh, this was a two-game sweep at Amelie Arena. But before we get to that, I want to make sure that you're aware of the special promo code we have at manscaped.com. If you use the keyword bolts, you get 20% off any order at manscaped.com. If you haven't checked them out, you got to find it. Uh, Guys, this is such a great uh, idea for grooming habits of men. Uh, It sounds, might sound a little off to some of you, but uh, I'm telling you, they got some really great products. Uh, Of course, their signature product is the lawnmower, but uh, if you have any unwanted nose hair, check out the Weed Whacker. It'll take care of that stuff. It'll get rid of it unsightly. It can be at times. Uh, This is a great idea. Uh, ladies, if you want to check this out to get it for your man in your life, uh, again, manscaped.com. And their best value is the performance package. It includes the lawnmower. It includes the weed whacker. It includes crop preserver and crop reviver, uh, as well as um, disposable shaving mats as well uh, that you could use. And it also comes with two free gifts. It comes with the uh, special pair of a boxer briefs, which I'm telling you are really, really comfortable uh, as well as a travel kit. So uh, check that out, manscaped.com. Again, 20% off using the keyword bolts at manscaped.com. All right, wanted to really touch on what it was like to be inside the building for the first two games, and specifically the first one, because that's sort of the novelty of being in there for the first time, right? Your first thoughts, your first observations. And uh, I got to tell you, I have covered... I was trying to do this math in my head, and math is not always my friend, but uh, if I haven't covered a 1,000 games inside Amelie Arena, 
in 20 years, it's awful close. If you, if you want to count regular season games, postseason games, and preseason games, uh, it, it's probably got to be up close to 1,000 thousand games, just at home games. It is, without doubt, the most bizarre thing I've ever been around. Just even walking up to the building and n- n- no buzz. There's no fans milling about in their lightning jerseys. There's no fans milling about with looking for tickets. There's no fans milling about having come from a meal heading to the arena. You know, you don't you don't feel that. There's no employees trying to get into the building, you know, in anticipation of, of working a game that night because there's no need for it right now with no fans in the building. Look, we hope that changes. Um, February 5th is the date in which um, – the Emily Arena Brass will reevaluate this situation with no fans in the in the building. Uh, so we hope by the time we get to February fifth, that does change. But it's ju- it's just so weird. So that was the first thing that caught me was just walking up to the building, was not noticing anybody around and just walking in and and going to work like I normally do, like I have literally hundreds and hundreds of times inside the building different entrance for the media to go in different way to get up there uh, different settings we're on the different end of the press box and i have been for the past 20 years uh, so all in all just it odd to kind of kind of see and be around but some of the things that caught my eye um first of all they're still doing a thunder kid not real of course you know they're they're you know nobody's allowed down on the ice surface, except for those who have been pre-approved and, and screened in, in, in a lot of ways uh, to make that happen. But they're still doing the Thunder Kid. The, so Thunderstruck by ACDC is still playing, and they're showing a montage of the different um, kids who have been selected to be the Thunder Kid through the years. So they're showing that. So it, it has that feel of the pregame warm-up. Um, but the one thing that, uh, you know, Christoph, the organ player, uh, was there for opening night. He was not there for game two, but he was there in the building for opening night. And he played uh, We Are the Champions by Queen. And coming off the championship year, it's very appropriate for that song to be played inside the arena. But then when he was done, nothing. Nothing. It was it was so eerily silent except for from, from where we sat in the press box, I could hear probably, I don't know, a handful of, of people who were in the building. There were some friends and family of the players that were in the building. So you could hear them applaud. But it was just, you know, it's like five, five or six. It's like it was the equivalent of a golf clap, but inside a arena that normally sits 20,000 people. So that really kind of struck me uh, as odd. As far as everything they did, uh, everything looks looks the same. Right? It looks the same. There's the pregame intro. There's the um, you know everything they put on the video board. The they didn't do the same introductions for game one. It was kind of a, a cool um, ad to put healthcare workers from the Tampa Bay area to introduce first the coaching staff and then. Victor Hedman and, and the defense, and then Steven Stamkos and the forwards before they came out for the banner uh, ceremony, if you will. 
as uh, little as it was. Um, so that looked the same, but there's no way it felt the same. There's no other, like I said, there's no applause. There's no, there's no reaction to the stuff that normally brings out thunderous reaction. It just wasn't there, and it was just so, so, so just bizarre. Um, at least we heard Paul Porter, the PA announcer, with the same enthusiasm that we're normally used to hearing him uh, make announcements, especially goal announcements. Uh, so that was the same. Uh, and then, you know, the the video, the plane right before they uh, lifted the banner, it, it wasn't a banner raising, okay, because they didn't raise the banner, but they did lift it and unveil it. Um, but to hear Rick Peckham, the television voice for nearly a quarter of a century for this team, do the narration of the build-up to it, and then, like, nothing. Like, here, here you're having this amazing moment that should be this amazing moment, and you see all the players down at that end of the ice where the Blackhawks' uh, bench is. The Blackhawks weren't on the bench, of course. But to see the, the, the unveiling of it and the lifting of it, again, it didn't, it's not very far off the ice surface where it's located uh, overneath the entrance to uh, the club area that's down there, uh, the Lexus Lounge, I think it is. Um, you know, that's, that's where it's sitting, and that's where it will sit for the whole season because a cool touch to it is they will not actually raise it to the rafters until fans are allowed to be in the building to celebrate with them. It was a great um, thing that uh, Rick Peckham said in his narration that um, trophies are for teams, rings are for the players, banners are for the fans. So until fans are there, they won't they won't raise it all the way up to the rafters. So that's a cool touch. But again, you heard this, and there just should have been this just resounding, thunderous roar from the crowd as that went up. And it just it, it, it wasn't there. Stick taps and stuff like that. But ju- again, just completely, completely bizarre uh, to kind of watch all of that unfold. Uh, but I will say this, that you... Even without the fans there, it's very noticeable. It's very noticeable. But when like the game actually started and the puck was down and the players were playing, you kind of you didn't forget that there weren't any fans, but it wasn't as noticeable from my perspective because you're you're focused on the game. And I, and I've heard plenty of the players say the same thing, right? Even going back to the bubble in Toronto and in Edmonton, that when you know, you noticed it before the game, but then once they started playing the game, they played the game. And I, and I think it kind of felt that same way for uh, myself watching an NHL game for the first time without fans in the building. Um, everything looked the same. The game felt the same in terms of the way it was played. Again, you missed the reactions. You missed the, the crowd erupting and, you know, celebrating goals or the anticipations. Uh, when when the puck hits the post, there's no, ah, oh, that comes from the crowd. So you miss all that stuff. And But I hope this doesn't last too long. I hope, um, you know, there is hope on the horizon with the vaccine and everything that hopefully before this season ends, this we'll just be talking about this as an anomaly and not the norm and not the regular. But um, just a very bizarre situation. And, I, you know, I had this question come up a couple of times uh, specifically for the second game on Friday 
in regards to the crowd noise. Again, I didn't watch the game on TV. I understand that you know Fox Sports was piping in some crowd noise, uh, and a lot of people were wondering if the crowd noise was in the arena as well. There is crowd noise in the arena. It's not very loud. We can kind of hear it up in the press box, so it's obviously meant more for the players than anything else uh, to kind of you know create a, at least a familiar atmosphere for the players. Uh, I know when the team had their final scrimmage just before the season opener that, you know, they were kind of experimenting around with it to see how it would sound. And we kept hearing fluctuations in uh, how they were handling the, the noise level of the pumped in crowd noise. Um, so they must've found a level. We, we can hear it uh, up in the press box, but it's not really loud. So it's a little faint uh, from what we can hear. Uh, felt awkward. That did feel awkward because just because it's not natural and it's, it's behind in some ways, right? Like the reaction time for something, it's just, and they'll get better with it. You know, I, I think we've, we found this in, in the playoffs as well, that eventually the crowd noise sort of caught up to what was actually taking place in the game, but it's never, it's never going to recreate the same. It's like, it's like players who go in intra-squad scrimmages. You can't prepare for the real game. Uh, and it's the same thing here. Uh, as, as good of a job as those sound engineers do, you're not going to be able to recreate the real crowd noise. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So, so those were some of my thoughts from, from game one. Uh, we'll see how things progress here. Again, we're at least, you know, a few more home games into Tampa Bay schedule before the thought of getting fans back in the building uh, can happen. Um, the next home game won't be until uh, January 30th, which is a Saturday, that'll be against the Nashville Predators. So we have at least four more home games for the Lightning to be played without fans in the stands. Uh, after that game on the 5th, they go on the road for four games. They'll be at Nashville on February 8th and 9th and at Florida the 11th and the 13th. They don't return home until February the 16th. So that'll give them plenty of time to reevaluate where things are by the time we get to that next game after the 5th. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully by then at least a limited number of fans will be in the building because uh, you missed them. You really – you did. You just – you truly, truly missed them. All right, on to a couple of other things. Uh, the first one, uh, of course, the two games against the Dallas Stars have been post postponed. The games on the 17th and the 19th, which were supposed to be played at Amelie Arena in a rematch of uh, the two teams that faced each other in the Stanley Cup final. Now, of course, this year they're – division rivals, um, but those two games were canceled, so they were rescheduled, and the rescheduling works like this, and it's a little it's a little off than what you would uh, normally expect, because the two games against the Stars, which were scheduled for January, now will not take place until May. So the first game has been rescheduled for May the 4th, that'll be a 7 o'clock start here uh, at Amelie Arena, and the second game will be made up on May the 10th, which is a Monday. Remember, the regular season was supposed to end on May the 8th. That was supposed to be the final regular season game. That will now be on May the 10th. Um, that'll be the well, regular season scheduled finale between Dallas and Tampa Bay. So again, the two Dallas games rescheduled for May the 4th and May the 10th. Now, what that did do is that there was a May 4th game originally scheduled to be played against the Florida Panthers. That game has been moved up to earlier 
in the season. They will now host the Florida Panthers on March the 16th. Uh, that'll be a home game, so they're kind of uh, squeezing that one in for Tampa Bay on the 16th of March. So uh, some schedule changes there to take note of uh, as the Dallas Stars had a situation where they had 17 players uh, test positive for COVID-19 five days into camp. Uh, that actually happened back on February or January the 8th. So that's, you know, you go 14 days from that date. That'll be the Dallas Stars home opener. And uh, that'll be their season opener at that point. So that's two weeks from that point in time. The Stars have been practicing. Uh, they still have some players who are uh, still on the COVID list, um, you know, not available because of COVID. Now, one thing to keep in mind, because we'll get into this in a little bit, the COVID list does not necessarily mean a player tested positive for COVID. It could mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. So this list that the league is providing and actually giving names of players who are on this list, it could be a quarantine situation, such as we saw with the Pittsburgh Penguins, because Barry Kapanen was on this list, but Kapanen had come back from Finland. Uh, so he was in quarantine, so he was on the list. It's because of COVID protocols, right? So it's not necessarily COVID positive test. It's due to COVID protocols. Now, that could be because somebody came into close contact and they have to quarantine and then they have to get a number of uh, positive, uh, negative tests before they're allowed to come back. <clears throat> so there's a lot of that that goes into this COVID list. So just because players are on this COVID list does not necessarily mean they have tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, so just kind of keep that in mind uh, when you see these COVID names uh, released. As far as the the two games that Tampa Bay played, again, 5-1 win on opening night, 5-2 win on the second night. Uh, great start. That's exactly what you need, especially now that you're not playing. You know, you're going almost almost seven days, six days between games played as they will play Columbus on the 21st in Columbus, the first of four on the road, two games in Columbus, two games in Carolina before they return home at the end of January, did what they needed to do. It wasn't it wasn't the prettiest hockey. Uh, I thought there were moments where they looked like they were in sync, but there were moments where they looked a little off as well, uh, which is to be expected. I, I mean, this is the thing I have to continue to remind myself as they prepared for this season. They got six days on the ice. Normally, training camp is 18 days from start to finish, from start of camp to, you know, usually the, the first game of the season is, is roughly 18 days, give or take. You know, you've got five or six exhibition games in there. Some teams play even more. They had six days on the ice because camp opened on the third. There were two days off in there, and the game uh, season opener was on the 13th. So it's 10, 8, two days off. Gives you six. So they had six days on the ice, two intra-squad scrimmages, not enough time to get the feel back. But they sure, again, at times they look like they had the feel back. They look like their timing was fine. You know, um, especially in the second period of, of the first game, they were just all over the Blackhawks. I think Chicago went about seven, eight minutes without a shot on goal uh, in that game. Um, you know, you had Steven Stamkos with three points. That was nice to see. Uh, you know, from the captain coming back, who hadn't played a game. He hadn't played a full game in almost 11 months. Remember, his last full game was towards the end of February uh, when he played 20 minutes uh, in Arizona. 
And then the team came back home and played against Toronto. He only played about 10 minutes, uh, did not come back. And then they announced his surgery a few days later. Uh, And then, of course, you had the COVID situation and his recovery from surgery that didn't go well. Uh, Got the glorious two minutes and 57 seconds of play in game three against the Stars in the cup final. Uh, One of the greatest goals, one of the most memorable goals we're ever going to see. But this game against Chicago on opening night was the first time he had played a full game in close to a calendar year. So it was good to see him get off to a good start. It's good to see everybody. And that's the thing in, in you know the two games that the team played, they had contributions from a lot of players. And that's been the strength of this team. Uh, it will continue to be the strength of this team is their depth is their ability to plug forwards in uh, specifically uh, and attack teams not with one or two lines, but with three, four lines um, on a a good portion uh, of every game. Uh, You'd like to see some more production out of the fourth line for sure, but we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, But look, this is what you had through two games. And look, I want to temper expectations just a tad here as well. Because they did take care of business. They got four points. Uh, and every game in the division now is a four-point game, right? Like you talk about this during the regular season that, eh, you know, you go out west and you play the teams in the west coast. Those are two-point games. If you, if you take a team to overtime, you know, it doesn't matter if the other team got a point. You're more worried about yourself. Every game this year is, is a four-point game. But the fact that this came against the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks are going to struggle this year. They have no Jonathan Taze. Kirby Dock, who was supposed to be their number two center behind Jonathan Taze, suffered a fractured wrist for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Uh, He's out for a good chunk of the season, if not the entire season. Their goaltending is going to be a question mark between Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia, and and the Tampa Bay saw both goalies uh, in the two games. Um, They struggle. You know, it's Patrick Kane, Alex Dabrinkit, and uh, Dominic Kubelik. There's not a whole lot of depth there for the Blackhawks. They're going to have to score power play goals and get themselves out of trouble this year. So just keep that in mind as, as you look at these two games. You know, Tampa Bay is going to get a good test against Columbus, who lost their opening two games against the Nashville Predators uh, and where they are. And, of course, the memory what happened uh, in the playoffs last year, that epic five overtime game in the first game of round one that Tampa Bay eventually went on to win in five games. Um, you know, so they'll, they'll get more tests coming up, but uh, it was a great start. But this is the production they got. So 10 goals in two games, only two guys, only two players have multiple goals, and that's Steven Stamkos and Andre Palat. You got goals from Anthony Sorelli, from Alex Kalorn, from Braden Point, from Yanni Gord, from Blake Coleman, from Matthew Joseph. So that's eight goals, or ten goals from eight different players. Steven Stamkos, five points. Andre Palat, three points. Sorelli, three points. Kalorn, three points. Braden Point, two points. Yanni Gord, a pair of points. Blake Coleman with two points. Barclay Goodrow with two points. Victor Hedman with two points. So that's nine players with multiple point efforts in the first two games. And that's what you want to see out of this team, you know, especially with no Nikita Kucherov. Uh, it's going to be a big storyline, obviously, throughout the entire season. Uh, I think it's something that uh, we'll discuss as the season goes. Uh, we'll specifically talk about this uh, when they hit a rut uh, in the schedule, when, you know, they, they drop 
two or three games in a row, we'll bring it up. But um, they have the offensive depth to uh, overcome this. Uh, and I think we saw that on display in the first two games uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks. So that was just, to me, that's the biggest takeaway is the depth is still there. The timing, everything else, that will, will you know, will come. Uh, but I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing I think we should take away from these two games is the play of Andre Vasilevsky in that. Once again, uh, a, a key key part of this team, he's he's the reason why Tampa Bay remains, one of the main reasons why Tampa Bay remains a Stanley Cup favorite uh, because of his play. He was fantastic in the postseason last year. He was fantastic in the first two games. You know, game two on Friday when Tampa Bay built a 3-0 lead, Chicago pushed back, and they pushed back rather well. Uh, they get a couple of goals a minute 59 apart. They get a late power play opportunity, and Vasilevsky makes a fantastic uh, save, uh, sliding post to post, uh, sort of loses his stick as he pushes across and is able to do, you know, you see some goalies sometimes do this, this cross-handed type situation with their glove and their blocker. Uh, he slid over um, with about a second left, to take a goal away or, or a prime scoring opportunity away from Chicago that could have potentially tied that game going into the third period. And that would have been a, a momentum uh, killer uh, for Tampa Bay if you built this 3 nothing lead. And not only would you blow that three-goal lead within a period, you would have given up a tying goal with a second to go, which is about what was left on the clock uh, had that puck went in. Uh, so he was fantastic again. Uh, in the first two games, and you know the big debate is how many games is he going to play. We'll see as the season goes on, um, but there's something to keep an eye on. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. I do want to get to your questions, because always you guys came in with some really uh, good ones here, so I want to get to them. We'll start. First, with a question that came in from Paul. Paul asked, with Hulu Plus Live, YouTube TV, and other streaming services dropping Fox Sports Sun, do you know how that will affect the Lightning's TV revenue? So to give you background on it, I know we talked about it in the last episode with Greg, that uh, this is a Sinclair, which owns the Fox Sports regionals now. Uh, it's not Fox Sports anymore. It is Sinclair that owns them. Their business strategy is to basically try and bring you a direct-to-consumer app similar to a Netflix or whatever um, streaming application. That's, that's, their, that's their goal here. And there's a reason why these Fox Sports regionals, it's not just here. I uh, read an article in the Minneapolis Star Tribune about the issues that they're having with Fox Sports North and coverage of the Wild Games. Uh, Columbus is having this issue, Fox Sports Midwest. Uh, are not on cable providers. So this is not exclusive to just Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay market. Uh, this is going on all around the country because we're going to see by next month, uh, Sinclair is going to rebrand themselves as Bally's. Uh, and they're going to try and bring this to consumers. But the way to make it, uh, you know, to, to create the demand, they have to take it away from the typical uh, avenues that, consumers get these Fox Sports regionals, and that is on providers, you know, whether it be Frontier, whether it be Spectrum, whether it be um, anything else that we see. 
so that's just something that uh, is out there. And, you know, there's only so many ways to alleviate the situation. But in, in getting back to Paul's question there, um, this is how it works. It's going to hurt Fox Sports's Fox Sports Sun's ratings. There's no doubt because half the cable consumers in this market are not getting the games uh, on one of the two top cable networks, and that's between Spectrum and Frontier. Um, if you have the streaming service, they're also off a lot of streaming services. I know they're still on AT&T for the time being, but I'm telling you, at some point, these contracts are going to run out and consumers will once again be stuck without access to it. And that's where their direct to consumer comes in. So the question though, is how does that affect the Lightning's TV revenue? Remember, this is how these situations work. The rights holders, which in this case is Fox Sports Sun, are the ones who pay the Lightning to broad their broadcast fees. So it's not going to directly affect the Lightning's TV revenue now uh, because they're still in the middle of this contract with Fox Sports Sun. Um, so the Lightning have gained their money from it. Fox is the one who's actually hurting, is being hurt by this because their ratings are going to go down, which means advertising revenues go down. Um, and when it comes around to a contract again, that's might might be where things are hurt a little bit, but there's still a lot to play out here. Uh, but in terms of directly impacting the Lightning's TV revenue, uh, it's not quite there. Um, Meg asks, have you heard anything about Nikita Kucherov's rehab yet, or is it still er still too early? It's still too early. It's not even worth uh, exploring too much on this because it is a four, four to five month recovery period. We are only a couple of weeks into that. The thing to keep an eye on is when he starts skating. And in conversations with Braden Point, who had a similar surgery, granted on both of his hips, uh, not just the one as Nikita Kucherov had, he had his surgery in early May, and he was back on the ice, I believe, by late July, early August, so a month before um, training camp started. Now, we know that there was a contract situation. He came into camp about a week or so late. Uh, but he started the season. He was ready to go by the second week of the regular season. So due to time there, uh, surgery in May, June, July, August, September, October, that's five months. So that's so we'll start looking to see when and if he starts getting on the ice in about four months and, and or three months and see where it goes from there. Um, from J.D. Rocca, can we agree that Stevens needs to be taken out of the lineup, let one of the other young kids in? Um, Mitchell Stevens struggled. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, you can't you, – you don't want to make your basis just on two games, right? You don't want to want to do that. And here's here's the thing, because, I, I, you know, I've seen this uh, argument kind of going around as well that, uh, you know, put Volkov or Joseph in. The problem is, is that neither Volkov nor Joseph play center. They're both wingers. Mitchell Stevens is a center. The other two players on his line, whether it be Pat Maroon or um, it was Matthew Joseph uh, in night two, it was Alex Volkov in night one, they're both wingers. So unless you're willing to move, say, a Tyler Johnson to fourth-line winger, which you're not going to do, or move Yanni Gord to a fourth-line winger or fourth-line center, you're definitely not doing that with how good that line has been through two games. Putting in Joseph or Volkov doesn't make a lot of sense right now because he doesn't. those two players don't play center. The only other option, in my mind, if you're going to play somebody, would be Jamel Smith. Jamel Smith is a natural center. He has played center throughout most of his career. He's on the taxi squad, so he would have to be activated. And remember, 
if you are going to, you can only have 23 players on the active roster. Uh, Cal Foote is somebody who can be moved up and down between the taxi squad without having to require waivers, but everybody else requires waivers. So if you were to want to send a Matthew Joseph or an Alex Volkov or a Mitchell Stevens to the taxi squad, they have to go through waivers. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, he Look, Mitchell Stevens looked good. Uh, mid to late season when he was called up, he had some issues in the playoffs, uh, was in and out of the lineup, uh, more out than in, especially as the playoffs went along. But uh, they believe in Mitchell Stevens, his speed, his face-off ability. He can kill penalties, um, but he was not very good in the first few games, and we'll have to see if he gets better. From Alex Selivanov, uh, what do you see as the trend line on Ruda? I thought he was bad in the playoffs, but willing to give him more rope. Here's the thing, and the analytics will tell you, and the lighting of reference this, when, uh, especially when John Cooper was asked this question back in the summer camp, the analytics tell you that Jan Ruda is a pretty good partner with Victor Hedman. Is he going to have moments where, um, you know, he, he doesn't get the puck out as clean? There's no doubt. Um, he, is not an, he is not the ideal, in my mind, uh, number one pairing with Victor Hedman. But just look at the ice time. You know, we see the ice time. Uh, Jan Ruda is 12 to 14 minutes, so he's not getting 20 minutes a night. Uh, and look, this is one of my biggest concerns is that the uh, right side D is thin on this team. You have Jan Ruda, you have Eric Chernak, you have Luke Shen, and you have Cal Foot. Those are your four, those are your top four right-handed shot defensemen. Uh, at some point, I wouldn't be surprised if the the lighting address this, but they're going to roll with this for now. Um, so you're going to see a lot of this. If you look at the first two games in the ice time, McDonough, Hedman, Sergachev are going to get their minutes. They were all over 20 minutes in each of the first two games, uh, as was Eric Chernak. So they're going to, you're going to pick and choose partners, situations, stuff like that uh, as we go through this season, similar as we saw to in the playoffs a lot last year. Uh, so like even Cal Foot. You know, um, Cal Foot's ice time in his NHL debut, he played uh, about 10 minutes. And though he was quote-unquote paired with Ryan McDonough, his ice time and even strength was split between McDonough and Sergachev. So it wasn't as if he played exclusively with Ryan McDonough. He played just with, um, you know, he played with other players as well. So again, just a situation to kind of keep an eye on as the season goes along. But Jan uh, Root is the best bet. He's the best bet to play alongside. You're not playing Cal Foot. Uh, you're not playing Luke Shen alongside him. Uh, and then uh, you could play Chernak. We saw that a lot uh, at points during the postseason. But, um, I mean, this is the rotation that they're going with for right now. They like, they like their righties and their lefties. They don't like putting guys uh, on their offside, uh, even though we have seen Sergejev play on the right side in years past. From Tony, uh, would you have left Cal Foot in the lineup? Think he had a safe first NHL game the other day. He did. You know, as they say, if you didn't notice a defenseman, sometimes that means they did their job. And I think it was a safe game for Cal Foot. Again, they they checked or they you know limited his ice time. They limited his his situations. You want to put players in the best opportunity to have some success and definitely grow some confidence. Um, but I mean, Luke Shen's a veteran. Uh, you don't want him sitting around. So you're, you're going to see this. You're going to see guys get into a lineup, um, you know, not necessarily rotation-based. I mean, John Cooper was asked about that the other day. This won't be a rotation situation. 
Uh, but they will get Luke Shen in the lineup, and Cal Foot will be back in the lineup as well. I'm interested to see how he's going to be utilized here as the team goes on the road for four games. Uh, remember, at home, you, you can pick your matchups on the road. Uh, you don't get to pick the matchups as much. It's a little bit harder to get him into situations to where uh, he feels comfortable. And, you know, and you'll see what he can handle as the season goes. So uh, just keep this in mind with a young defenseman uh, as we go forward. Um, from This is from Stephanie. How many games do you think Basileski will play in a shortened season? Do they feel comfortable keeping him around 45 or 50? I know rest will be important with the way the schedule is laid out. You can expect Curtis will play in the six back-to-back games they have yet, for sure, or at least the other goaltender, um, you know, we'll, we'll get those back-to-back situations. We assume that'll be McElhaney. Um, You know, this has been the great debate. Uh, I've had it a couple of times. Me and Greg talked about it. I talked about it with Greg and Dave Mishkin um, the other day on Lightning Power Play. If you prorate things out, the um, if 60 games is the magic number in 82-game season, that, that puts you at about 38 in a 56-game season to prorate things out in terms of the, the balance of starts. So that's the number to look for. Um, I, I, it'll probably end up being a little bit higher than that. We know how much you know Andre Vasilevsky wants to play and how much he's capable of playing, but sometimes they do have to pull him back a little bit. Uh, my, my guess is I, I don't, it'll be much closer to 40 than it will be a 50 uh, in my mind. Um, it's certainly not going to be 50 it, it 40, 42, you know, if, if we're setting a, a number that I think it might be, I think 42, if all things, you know, go as we expect, uh, and you know, injuries, COVID don't disrupt things. My guess is he, he he's probably going to be around 42 to 43 starts, which is a little over that prorated number. Uh, but again, this is a season unlike any other. So we're going to have to, um, just evaluate as we go on. Uh, from Rays of Our Lives, are we seeing Steven Stamkos reinvent himself again? I don't remember seeing him skate around in the zone like this in the last few years. It goes to show the potential difference in his play when healthy. That's the key right there. He he looks healthy. Uh, he feels healthy. I know when he was asked uh, a few days in the camp about his situation, he said that you know, this is the best he's felt in, in certainly a while, certainly going back to the last time he was on the ice for a full game. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a great sign that he looks healthy. Uh, he looks like he's skating well. And to me, that's a key. As far as reinventing himself, I think he just he's just a much more mature player than he was, you know, five, seven, ten years ago when he first came into the league. He understands the things that's asked of him and what he needs to do to be to help the team be more successful uh, than, than they are, uh, or just to help the team have success, I guess is probably the best way to set it. Uh, from Prezemic, uh, am I the only one who wants to see Coleman on power play tool? I think Blake can replace Pat Maroon there. Maybe Joseph should also get a chance on the power play if Johnson can't score. I'm pretty sure he has only one power play goal in a long time. Yeah, his numbers on, on the man advantage have gone down as he's worked with the second power play unit. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Blake Coleman on the second power play unit. You know, but that's the one thing about this team. They've got a lot of offensive depth. And the one thing with Pat Maroon that we've seen, maybe his his he's not getting a bunch of uh, goals in that role on the second power play unit, but he's a big body. He's a good net front presence. And he his hands down low are really good. 
and his ability to protect the puck. That's the biggest thing with Pat Maroon is his ability to retrieve pucks and protect pucks down low. That's his greatest strength in those areas. Um, so that's why he's there. Uh, well, I mean, Blake Coleman played power play in New Jersey. There's no doubt about it. Um, he could do it, but there's so much offensive depth. And look, like we're making reactions off of two games here. It's it's there's still 54 more games to play on this schedule, and they're going to let things play out. They're not going to make overnight reactions, knee-jerk reactions to situations. Tyler Johnson can score goals. He's proven it in the past. Uh, they're going to give him every opportunity to do that again. Um, but they can move things around, as you know, with with the. Uh, depth that this team has they can move things around we saw them experimenting with a lot of things uh, on the power play in training camp uh, they went with the number one unit that had Braden Point over at the right circle uh, Alex Kalorn and Andre Palat were the two guys down low and in the slot position uh, so we saw them run um, you know Mikhail Sergachev and Ryan McDonough uh, on the point in the first two games and then Tyler Johnson I think a lot of power play time in game two but um they did, um, you know, they, they, they can experiment around. They will experiment around. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at some point if Blake Coleman doesn't continue to get those opportunities because he can, uh, for sure, put the puck in the back of the net. From Lightning FCR, do you think Braden Point is a bit off his game? If you do, do you think it's because he might have a newish role now? I, I don't think so. I don't think he's off his game. Uh, look, again, we're, 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 we're trying to judge off of two games here where everybody – is off their game. Uh, I think that uh, Braden Point looked fine uh, the other night um, in the first two games. He, he, he's moving well. That's the thing that you look for with Braden Point is the way that he can kind of shimmy and shake with the puck. And uh, no, I don't think he looks off at all. I, I think that, um, you know, he does have to adjust to, to having an, a new line mate. Uh, he had great chemistry with Nikita Kucherov and Andre Plot in the postseason. Now you put Steven Stamkos over there. Uh, great player. Both of them are all-star all-star players. Uh, both Kucherov and Stamkos are probably future Hall of Famers, uh, but they do play different style of games. You know, Nikita Kucherov is more of a um, playmaking type of winger, uh, whereas Steven Stamkos is a shooter. And those those so those are adjustments that you have to make uh, moving forward. Uh, from Kenny, uh, how much do you use the new puck and player tracking data captured by the league? Um. You know what? We haven't. We're not getting any of that information. I guess, and I don't know if this is the case. I'm not sure if the ice time is being tracked by the the player tracking. Um, I know, like in the broadcast, you utilize it, especially in the NBC broadcasts. You see that up there. So I don't know if that's tracking ice time or not. Uh, but the the sheets, they all look the same. You know that that we are provided with the information we are provided with, whether that's coming from player tracking or not. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but in terms of like other aspects of the player tracking, we're not uh, at least being told that that's where we're getting it from. Uh, from Gary, Gary Graff, do you think the NHL would consider day-night doubleheaders with shortened periods like baseball did for COVID makeup games? Uh, absolutely not. That is not an option. You're not going to play doubleheader games um, with the NHL. It's just not going to happen. Um, this is why you have the block scheduling. This is similar, I guess you could call it, block scheduling, two games against the same opponent in the same city. This is the equivalent of that. Uh, but in terms of trying to make up games, you can't do doubleheaders in the NHL. You can't. It's too physically taxing of a sport uh, 
as opposed to baseball. You know, you already have uh, shortened uh, overtime. So overtime would never last more than five minutes. Um, so those those are already in play uh, for that aspect. But no, no doubleheaders. Uh, and look, you can't even do games on three consecutive nights in the NHL. You know, this is one thing that I was looking at when they were trying to make up just the one game against Dallas, that there were some gaps in there that you could do it, but it would require one of the two teams to have to play three consecutive games, and that's not allowed. You can't do that in the NHL, and they're not going to make a special provision for it. It's too physically taxing on the players to get that done. Um, you know, they'll they'll do other ways, just as we saw with a number of games moved around, uh, simply because Dallas has to make up four games. You know, they won't start their season until Saturday. Um, so that's going to be the case moving forward. And, you know, we'll we'll see how this all plays out, uh, how much this affects uh, teams. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're about to get another one because uh, or at least the potential of one, because the question from Nancy, what is the status of Curtis McElhaney with COVID protocol? Yes, Curtis McElhaney appeared on the leagues, uh, unable to participate due to COVID protocols on Saturday. Um, gap in between games. So we'll see what this means. The team did not practice Saturday. They did not practice on Sunday. So uh, what it means if Curtis McElhaney, it uh, doesn't mean he tested positive. Uh, it could mean that he was in close contact with somebody uh, who did test positive for COVID. Uh, it does mean that he could be uh, exposed to it. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different things. You could add a false positive test. We'll find out. The team is scheduled to resume practice on Monday, but uh, we've seen teams do this, right? We've seen uh, the Canucks have to cancel practice because of false positives. Uh, we've seen the Penguins have to cancel practice because of false positives. Columbus held 17 players out because of false positives. There's a number of things that it could be. We'll just have to kind of let it play out. And uh, all I can say is get used to this because we're going to see it a lot during the season. All right, that's going to wrap up today's episode. Uh, we'll be back uh, with Greg uh, at some point, uh, maybe later on this week or maybe by the weekend as Tampa Bay is out. Uh, they're not playing again until Thursday the 21st against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask if I was going to do these after every game like I did in the playoffs. I don't know if I can physically do that um, every night after a game, uh, maybe after every other game, uh, sort of like we're doing here, you know, because you play two games against the same opponent. So maybe we'll look into doing that. But um well, you know, again, it's a, it's a touch and feel thing. We'll see how it goes as the season goes along. Um, but as always, uh, make sure you rate, subscribe, uh, share this podcast with your friends. Don't forget our special 20% code at manscaped.com by using the keyword bolts when you check out. That's keyword bolts at manscaped.com. Uh, thanks, everybody, as always, for listening. Thanks for all the great questions as we usually get. And until next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.